Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by USA Today Network Florida. Ron DeSantis delivers his closing message in Iowa and goes hard at Nikki Haley in their final debate before the caucus. Trump goes off script and Florida's legislative session kicks off. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... All right, it is now 2024. The calendar has flipped over. Lots of numbers floating around still in Florida politics. Uh, John, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, Zach, I'm coming in with a robust number, and it's a 70. All right, a 70 for John Kennedy. How about you, Antonio? You know what? Given the NFL playoffs begin this weekend, I am going to go big and not go home. 3,607,279. All right. Antonio's starting the year with a big, big number. My number is 199. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, DeSantis launched his campaign for president talking about leading a great American comeback. And now he needs to engineer a comeback of his own and show that his campaign still has some signs of life. He's doing that not by talking up his accomplishments in Florida so much as he's done throughout much of this campaign, but by tearing down his rivals, Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. DeSantis's final campaign ad in Iowa includes the line that his campaign is describing as its, quote, closing message saying that Trump is focused on his own issues, Nikki Haley is focused on her donors' issues, and only DeSantis is focused on the issues that voters really care about. That was also his opening line at last night's debate, the final debate before the Iowa caucus. And DeSantis was even more aggressive in this uh, debate with uh, Nikki Haley, attacking her at every opportunity. John, I talked to a Republican consultant who said it's telling that DeSantis feels like he needs to go hard at Trump and Haley in his closing message and a sign that he's really fighting from the rear rather than a place of strength. Uh, And that's reinforced by a new Iowa poll that was released just this morning by Suffolk University. It has Trump at 54 percent support compared to 20 percent for Haley and 13 percent for DeSantis, that's right. Haley is up by seven points over DeSantis in this latest uh, Iowa poll. Uh, it's not looking good for DeSantis down the stretch. No, and it seems like this, uh, you know, attack is uh, really uh, what he's doing now, and really all that he's got left. Uh, you know, he spent months mostly keeping a distance from Trump and Haley. And now on the eve of Iowa, he finds himself more than thirty points behind Trump. And uh, yeah, as you point out, the polls are showing him now trailing Haley, uh, at least some are uh, in in Iowa. You know, and a a third place finish for DeSantis behind these two will effectively kill his campaign, although it sounds like DeSantis wants to keep going no matter what. 
you, you know, on to New Hampshire, on to South Carolina and Nevada. But we've, we've seen DeSantis's political campaign running ads against Haley, and he's been hitting Trump for a few weeks now, saying that having the former president on the ballot for a third time will detract from the focus on President Biden's performance and will likely lead to a Republican loss in November. Uh, but DeSantis now, you know, is uh, he's been hitting Trump for uh, criticizing him for supporting a six week abortion ban in Florida. That's a point that plays well in Iowa, where evangelical voters may make up as much as two thirds of the caucus goers. Uh, DeSantis is pretty well positioned among these voters, but, you know, so is Trump. The, the real fight, of course, is over who's going to finish second, uh, DeSantis or Haley. Uh, DeSantis has been accusing Haley for uh, saying that she's drawn inspiration from Hillary Clinton, and he's been trying to poison her with Iowa voters by somehow making them feel that she's only using them on her way to future primaries in New Hampshire and South Carolina. You know, kind of a, a strange political accusation where he's jabbing her on her campaign tactics. That's something that we also saw uh, back and forth on uh, during the, the debate uh, on CNN, um, that, that's another thing where Haley and DeSantis seem to be uh, sparring over the process of the campaign. But, uh, you know, the DeSantis's stumbling campaign tactics are probably going to be the stuff of future books. If anybody cares to read how the Florida governor went from red hot in 2022 to stone cold, phrase that he likes in uh, January 2024. But 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 yeah, it seems going negative and free swinging here in the caucus's closing days seem to be the only tactic left. And he may think that he's going to keep going after Iowa no matter what. But you got to think his donors, his advisors, the national media and, you know, even his campaign staff will have other ideas if he finishes third in Iowa. Uh, a poll show that it's only going to get worse for him in New Hampshire, where Haley is benefiting from support from independent voters who can cast ballots in that primary. Now with Chris Christie out of the race as well, uh, that also could mean some of his voters who are very, you know, anybody but Trump uh, may turn to Haley as opposed to DeSantis, who's been trying to portray himself as a little bit of a, a Trump light Um you know, DeSantis right now is second from the bottom there in New Hampshire in the Republican primary field. So once Iowa is in the history books, it seems like it's only going to get darker for DeSantis. John, what what did you think of the debate last night? I actually thought that DeSantis had a pretty strong performance. He was uh, aggressive. He was in command of the facts. He was pretty uh, quick on his feet. Uh, it, the irony of of him really struggling at the finish line is that it, it does seem like he's actually kind of peaking when it comes to his skills as a candidate. You know, he did an interview on CNN after the debate, and he was pretty natural in that interview, and and again, pretty um, pretty fluid in, in his responses to some of uh, Anderson Cooper's questions. Uh, I, it, I just wonder, you know, DeSantis went um, he he went into Iowa. Uh, after kind of some of his campaign stumbles, and he decided to go all in on answering questions from the media, going to town halls, talking to voters. Um, and it seems to have helped him, at least, you know, he seems more natural as as a candidate. And you just wonder if he had done this from the beginning. I mean, as Florida reporters, we know 
that DeSantis has not been very available to the media. He does do a lot. Of, he did do a lot of press conferences uh, and he took questions, um, but it was in a very controlled setting where he'd take, you know, three or four questions. He didn't have uh, follow up questions. He didn't really expose himself to really um, an aggressive, uh, confrontational uh, accountability type journalism and, and, and from the public and from people who aren't his supporters. Um, and I, and I think that that might've made him a little bit more, um, fragile or, or as a candidate earlier on. And he's really kind of been forged a little bit more in the fire here. And he does seem like a bit of a, a better candidate, but it, it seems like it's, it's coming too late. Yeah, I know. It, it is It is not beyond the realm of possibility that DeSantis is the comeback kid here. He's the Bill Clinton uh, from 1992, <laughs> this time around, maybe, uh, for, at least when it comes to Iowa. Maybe he's able to you know, capture that second place in Iowa, and that may be enough. He's going to be still light years behind Trump, but if he can get ahead of Haley, uh, that at least uh, gives him some you know breath of life uh, heading for the future future states and it'll give him some bounce if he does finish second that maybe that will help him uh come off the the the, the schneid in uh, new hampshire where, where he is right now but uh yeah you know the the likability factor remains something that uh you know the public uh, has to somewhat like a candidate have to get some kind of uplifting message from the candidate and that's something that DeSantis has really not delivered yeah, there, uh, but, there does still seem to be sort of a lecturing aspect to him, uh, like yeah. uh, just. Um, but but he does seem to be just a smoother candidate overall. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, he is. He is much better at that now than he was, uh, you know, when he first embarked on this campaign. But um, it's it's still kind of a, a messaging thing that leaves people. He, he's kind of a grating personality, uh, oftentimes, and uh, that seems to come across on television and across in uh, you know union halls when he's meeting people in uh, in Iowa. But um, yeah, it, it is uh, possible that that he gets a. Um, uh, a, a last-minute push among, uh, you know, are there undecided voters that are going into these caucuses? And, uh, you know, could they switch uh, during the evening, you know, in that complex world of uh, caucus going where you kind of line up in in, in a corner of a, of a room that, uh, you know, where you're a candidate, where you want to declare your support for one of the candidates, uh, it's possible that people will be uh, Switching maybe on the strength of this most recent debate, where, as you pointed out, DeSantis performed fairly well, and uh, having it narrowed down to two people last uh, during that CNN debate too, just DeSantis versus Haley, that also seemed to be a plus for DeSantis. He didn't have to elbow his way in across a crowded stage of other candidates talking over him. So um, you know, it, it is possible that he, uh, he he manages to pull off the. Uh, the, the, the silver medal uh, winning uh, in uh, in Iowa. So still to be seen. Antonio, what do you think about DeSantis's closing message? You know, it seems more uh, focused on Trump and Haley than it is, you know, sort of the, the make America Florida that he really uh, started out with and, and really touting his record in Florida. I mean, he's still talking about his record in Florida all the time. And, you know, he wove that in throughout uh, the debate uh, last night, but it really, it does seem to be more of a, a negative message or, or really trying to pull down some of his rivals. Uh, you know, did you think that you know, that whole make America Florida thing uh, resonated? Is that 
something does, does America want to be Florida? It, it hasn't really propelled them in the polls. No, Zach, and it's not resonating. And part of the reason is that for the same reason, for example, that Ronald Reagan's city on a hill theme would be the tree that falls in the forest and no one notices in today's Republican Party circles. And, and the reason is large swaths of GOP voters are not interested in a message about governing competence. They don't want to hear so much about how you work within the, the established government and political frameworks to pass legislation through protocols and procedures and regulation. And, and the reason they don't want to hear that partly is because in their minds, that which works in Florida or Texas, for that matter, these deep red states, won't work in Washington, D.C., where Democrats have a much bigger presence and you got a deep state to thwart you. Broad pockets of Republican voters don't want to hear candidates talk about working within the system and, and definitely not in a bipartisan way. They, they want to hear angry candidates vow to burn down the system. And Trump has been the one making that argument that he is going to crush the deep state. He's going to crush weaponized law enforcement. He's going to crush the Democratic opposition. And Trump, you know, like I said, he's, he's the only candidate in that lane. You know, let's call it the Bedlam Highway. And, and it seems to be a very popular road for a lot of GOP voters. Yeah, and, and maybe that's uh, what DeSantis has realized, and he's he's uh, having a, a. That's why maybe he has a little bit more of a negative, darker message uh, down the stretch here. That that seems to motivate people. Well, while DeSantis but, but, is, but one thing, Zach, I yeah. should add that you know the, this whole and, and John kind of alluded to this earlier. This, this whole caucus thing is very different than a primary where you walk in and, and you cast your ballot at the polls. There's a lot of give and take, and and remember that DeSantis did get the endorsement of Iowa's popular governor and that, and, and one of the leading evangelical leaders there. So you, 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 it's a lot of this is getting out and mobilizing. And that's a question here is who's going to be best at that. And I, I don't know, you know, we, we, I've not been in Iowa, so I haven't got a good look at that, but that's something I think our, our listeners should know. Yeah. A caucus is totally different. And DeSantis, their team is really hyping up their ground game. Uh, their super PAC supporting their campaign, never back down, has recruited uh, a lot of volunteers, knocked on hundreds of thousands of doors. They say they have 1,600 precinct captains to go to every caucus site. You have to have people at these caucus sites um, deliver speeches for the candidates and try and uh, woo over some of these uh, caucus goers. So it is a big wild card. And I did talk to a political science uh, professor in Iowa who said she thought that a good organized campaign uh, in Iowa could could defy the polls to some degree. And I don't know about 30 percentage points, but, you know, maybe two, three, four, five points uh, better than than what they're polling. So it, it's entirely possible that there are some surprises on caucus night. Well, while DeSantis is closing his Iowa campaign, ripping Trump and Haley, Trump is talking about magnets not working in water, telling Iowans to get over the recent school shooting and arguing that the Civil War could have been avoided through better negotiation. He also called people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th hostages. Antonio Trump's closing rallies in Iowa have included a bunch of what DeSantis described as head-scratching comments, but it seems like Haley's gaffes have received more attention. Yeah, that is true, Zach. And in a way, it is fair game. Look, Haley has made the argument all along that Trump is the chaos candidate and she's the competent agent of, of, of competent you know, candidate. That she has the executive experience as governor of South Carolina and foreign policy experience as the U.N. ambassador. 
The problem is that when you pitch yourself as the normal candidate, the, the capable one, the adult in the room, and then you go ahead and you put your foot in your mouth, it gets magnified because it disproves your claim to be the candidate of order and seriousness. It's part of the same political affliction that has been dogging President Joe Biden. His selling point in 2020 was government experience and competence in the face of a mismanaged pandemic. Then Americans saw the tragic and awful withdrawal from Afghanistan and the overwhelming images of the southern border and inflation rising to 40-year highs and seemingly intractable wars in Ukraine and Israel. And they, and they look at Biden and say, I thought you were said you were going to be the guy to handle all of this. Now, you're right that Trump has made a series of peculiar, to say the least, comments. He actually had another one this week in which he said he hoped the economy and the stock market were crashed this year because he doesn't want to be Herbert Hoover, meaning having the collapse happen when he's president again. The thing is, in a way, Trump already has been Herbert Hoover. In 2020, Trump was president when the crisis, the pandemic struck. And like Hoover, back in the Great Depression, Trump couldn't get a handle on managing the pandemic crisis. At one point on national TV, he advised Americans to take sunlight and bleach into the body to kill the coronavirus. So he already has had his Herbert Hoover moment. But as long as Haiti and DeSantis fail to deliver what GOP voters want to hear, Trump may, unlike Hoover, get another shot at the White House. What do you think? Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch Trump's uh, town hall last night. I mean, it, it, he he continues to sort of just float above this primary, you know, Nikki Haley and uh, DeSantis are just going at each other, you know, just, just clawing at each other in this debate. And Trump seems to be at the town hall, just having a good time, sitting there smiling, um, you know, uh, doing his thing. Uh, it, it, it does seem like he's, he's barely been touched this debate season. DeSantis was uh, asked about, you know, whether he's going hard enough at Trump. It's been kind of a constant theme and and he uh last night on cnn with anderson cooper and and he and he said oh look i i i've gone after trump i just go at him from the right you know but he did pass up an opportunity uh when they asked uh, you know did, did does trump have the character uh to be president or uh and, and nikki haley also seemed to sort of pass on that question last night i mean they're they're attacking him but they're not really going for the 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 throat the way that they are with each other no, and you're right. I mean, he's basically loitered over this. And, I, and I've talked to a number of people all along that have said that that ended up being a, a pretty brilliant strategy because what it did was not only did, did he not get untacked on stage, but it also allowed him to call out the other candidates as the undercard, the B team, the supposed vice presidential candidates dueling each other like a, you know, a, you know, like, a, like a squid games type scenario where deep down, probably none of them are going to get picked to be uh, the VP candidate. Trump was probably going to go in a different direction, assuming he is the, uh, the nominee of the party for the, for the, you know, for the presidency. But yeah, I mean, I, I've talked to a number of people who said that, yes, that that was, it turned out to be a brilliant strategy that they even pointed out how Joe Biden in 2019, when he announced he had a huge lead, over the other Democratic rivals, largely based on name recognition. And then Biden went into these monthly debates in the summer and fall of 2019. In fact, Zach, you and I were at the one in Miami in June of that year, and he just got pummeled. And all of a sudden, by the time that Iowa came around, he was almost left for dead. And it wasn't until he got to South Carolina that uh, Representative Jim Clyburn and uh, came in to his rescue with, with a lot of the, the African-American electorate. So 
uh, in, in many ways, what Trump has done here has been, you know, a, a very politically savvy mood. I, I, I don't know that's good for democracy. Uh, and, and you wonder, you wonder if going down the road, if Trump then ends up kind of seeing the same thing that you were discussing about DeSantis, where because he's only been talking to his allies and his favorable audiences, and in, even at CNN town hall meeting, it may have last year. Yeah, it was on CNN and the moderator, Caitlin Collin, basically did go after him a little bit. But nonetheless, he had a very friendly audience that he could always turn to and, and undermine it. So you wonder if going forward, if he's also now been so insulated that when this gets serious and people start really questioning him and, and, and the, the glare of attention on a lot of these comments that he continues to make really starts to build, will he also then suffer the same kind of you know, I don't want to say downfall, but at least a lot of the stumbles and a lot of the the, the kind of, uh, the, the, you know, when that scrutiny comes around, does he then start, you know, like DeSantis, just not being battle tested enough to be able to deflect and and to, you know, basically keep his standing among voters? Yeah, that, that's a really a good point. If you don't use those political muscles, uh, you lose them to some degree. And if you're not taking, um, you know, questions, uh, if you're not, uh, doing some of these debates and, and, uh, you know, uh, do you start to, uh, become, uh, a weaker candidate, uh, going forward? Uh, the thing is though, Trump might not debate. I mean, it, it seems like he is not interested in, uh, debating Biden and, um, this, this debate last night might be the last debate of the, uh, entire, presidential cycle. I mean, maybe he he runs a much more closed off campaign and, and tries to avoid uh, scrutiny as much as possible. Whether that's an effective tactic, I, I guess we'll see. Well, while the candidates uh, fight to the finish in Iowa, DeSantis had to take a break from the campaign trail this week to give his annual state of the state address, kicking off the 60 day legislative session here in Florida. Iowa didn't seem very far from his mind, though. His comments listed all of his accomplishments in recent year and, uh, and essentially uh, doubled as a campaign speech. John, is this session expected to be as uh, influenced by DeSantis's presidential campaign as the last one where he pushed through a bunch of bills that really seemed uh, tailor-made for campaigning in Iowa? Well, just a few days into the session, it doesn't look like DeSantis is paying much attention to what the legislature plans to do. Uh, as you pointed out, he opened the session Tuesday with his state of the state speech. And uh, in that 35 minute address, the governor didn't really pitch any new ideas, but he kind of clicked through his highlight package of recent years. And his message was uh, urging legislators to stay the course. So um, stay the course is a little like, uh, you know what I like here. So just keep doing it. Yeah, DeSantis uh, kind of, he said, oh, we got so much accomplished last year. It's like hard to imagine <laughs> what, what else we can do. It, it, he seems to not really want to be bothered with it as he as he uh, finishes off his, his campaign here. Yeah, yeah. I think he still, still sees like many other things to do uh, around the nation. And so uh, whatever's happening in Tallahassee, uh, you know, just keep doing what I like, you know, and uh, I'll check in every now and again. You know, the Republican controlled legislature has been in DeSantis's pocket and uh, they've been willing to do whatever he wants. Uh, I, I think it's possible, though, that if DeSantis can emerge from Iowa, uh, still with something like, uh, you know, a viable candidacy uh, that legislators might get some messaging from DeSantis about coming up with more measures that at least uh, ideologically 
target the Biden administration, you know, uh, what they may be like, you know, maybe some new immigration measures that shine a brighter light on southern border problems the, the Biden administration is facing, uh, you know, tax breaks or spending proposals that, again, kind of highlight inflation, which uh, the governor, of course, likes to call Biden inflation. Um, you know, across those 35 minutes when he spoke to the joint session of the legislature, he, he managed to name check the Biden administration five times, uh, all negatively and uh, mostly about immigration and the border. Uh, and, and meanwhile, you know, DeSantis, though, he also ticked off more than a dozen accomplishments that he claimed uh, from pushing back against COVID-19 authoritarianism, as he called it, to having a kneecapped, uh, he said, uh, environmental, social, and governance policies, the uh, ESG, ESG guidelines that he likes to uh, ridicule uh, governments and businesses from adopting. He even made a mention of that in the most recent uh, CNN debate. But um, for, for this year, uh, well, you know, he's, he's kind of quiet. He's, uh, he's more focused on Iowa and beyond right now. Yeah, maybe uh, that that'll. I'm sure there's plenty of people in Tallahassee who w won't wouldn't mind a, a little bit calmer legislative session. It has been pretty uh, hectic the last uh, few years as lawmakers passed uh, a whole slew of bills that that really yeah. uh, seem to be really national messaging uh, in a lot of ways. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here, uh, Antonio. You want to tell us about yours? Yeah, I, I had three million six hundred seven thousand two hundred seventy nine. And that was the number of no party affiliated voters in Florida as of the most recent book closing on November 30th of last year. The number is down from last year's total by 425,452. And, and to explain why this may be the case, I'm going to give a shout out to a story by my Palm Beach Post colleague, Stephanie Matad, who's been on the podcast every so often. As we have reported on this podcast, the number of NPA voters, meaning those not registered with a particular party, has been rocketing upwards in recent years. Uh, one reason our coverage is spotted is people finding they no longer see things exactly the way Republican and Democratic leaders see it. But Stephanie's reporting spots a potential other reason, a so-called glitch in the Department of Motor Vehicles software. As she explains, uh, the DMV website and in-person program at offices allow people updating their driver's license information, such as when they move from one home to another, to also simultaneously update their voter registration information. Now, it's a very convenient thing, except for a purported flaw, purported flaw in the programs. Unless an individual reaffirms their party choice, the system by default switched their registration to MPA status. That may explain, for example, all those anecdotal instances that we would hear from during primary elections when voters are called to say, hey, I've been a lifelong Democrat Republican and I went to vote and told me I'm now an NPA. And it may also explain why we saw such a rise in NPA voter ranks. In fact, as Stephanie reported, once the glitch was fixed, NPA voter rolls in 2023 not only did not increase as they had in previous years, the category dropped by, like I said, more than 425,000. Now, a caution flag. The drop could have also been spurred by state elections laws requiring county supervisors of elections across Florida to call their voter rosters and eliminate the so-called inactive voters. That's an important factor because the ranks of GOP and Democratic voters in 2023 also dropped. In any event, as Stephanie writes, Boca Raton State Representative uh, 
Peggy Gossett-Seedman, a Republican, has offered legislation to require way more voter notice and consent when changes to their voter registrations are made. And she's filed that legislation in the current session that you guys were just talking about. Yeah, that's an interesting number. Really, the rise of MPA voters has been a big uh, story in Florida for years and uh, maybe uh, viewed as a sign that the parties were losing uh, their luster with younger voters. But it all could just be a software glitch. Who knows? Uh, John, you want to tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, my 70 is the temperature difference forecast as a high temperature Monday in Tallahassee and Des Moines, Iowa the biggest city in the state with the uh, first presidential contest, the uh, the caucuses. Uh, Tallahassee's got most of that number, though. It's going to be a high of 66 in Tallahassee, while the high is four below in Des Moines. Uh, when wind chill of maybe 27 below is factored in, it's going to be the coldest caucus day in the state's history. Uh, it's perfect for having two Florida men, DeSantis and Donald Trump, in the running. Uh, Zach, I know you're going to be out there uh, covering the caucuses for our USA Today network. Yeah, but- John, John, this number is really kind of like giving me PST, uh, PST <laughs> here. I'm, I'm a little bit uh, um, in shell shock. <laughs> but, except yours is preliminary uh, shock, I guess, right now. But, yeah. uh, but, but I also understand that you've got a, a, an assignment as well of bringing the brass monkeys indoors that night. <laughs> Still, w- w- once the caucusing is over, I'm sure you'll be looking to, well, I guess, chill. Chill, I guess, right? Uh, along with that, I, I know you're going to be watching for turnout trends. And uh, with that deep cold, some analysts are predicting that that it may actually hurt Trump. Uh, he's seen as drawing a lot of his support from first-time caucus goers who may be a little fickle about coming out to caucus. Um, DeSantis is viewed as having courted more reliable Republicans, some say, having been endorsed by the state's governor and also a prominent evangelical leader with a uh, strong base of allies. But, uh, you know, DeSantis, he's not going to overtake Trump. But if he's managed to convince enough Iowans to get out the ice scraper and a shovel and head out into the frigid night, well, that might be enough for him to capture his uh, coveted second place finish over uh, rival Nikki Haley. Yeah, this is going to be a really, really cold caucus. You know, I was uh, preparing uh, to go out to Iowa tomorrow to help with uh, coverage for uh, Gannett. Um, and uh, we, were, we were getting emails from from people uh, who are helping organize this. And they're like, oh, we're we're coming up with an uh, emergency kit for you to have in your car in case your car like uh, stalls on a snowy road in the middle of the night. And there's like blankets and like flashlights and ice scrapers. So it's uh, just in case a little alarming when, when you hear that, you know, I I actually worked in Michigan uh, when I, I started off, worked at a newspaper in upper Michigan. So I've, I've, I've had experience with the cold weather, but it's been 20 years and uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see if it, if it does impact the turnout. I, I asked one Republican consultant and he told me he thinks that usually weather only affects turnout on the margins. Um, he actually thought that maybe the the NFL uh, playoff game on uh, caucus night might have have an impact if people uh, decide to stay home and watch football uh, if they think Trump has it in the bag. But it's the Bucks Eagles. I'm not sure how many people in, in Iowa are tuning in for for the Bucks, um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's going to be very very cold. Well, 
My number is 199. That's how many Republican Party of Florida executive committee members voted to remove Christian Ziegler as chair this week. The vote to oust Ziegler following a rape allegation was overwhelming, with just three members voting to keep him, a sign that the party is very, very eager to move on after what has been quite a tumultuous period. The Ziegler sex scandal has exposed the Florida GOP to charges of hypocrisy after years of culture war battles that were heavy on moral crusading. It's hard to say that you're the party of traditional family values when your chairman stands accused of rape and the police investigation uncovered that uh, Ziegler and his wife were involved in three-way sex with another woman. The scandal also was a big distraction at a time when the party is trying to gear up for the 2024 election. Democrats have been eager to highlight the Ziegler saga and would have been happy to keep the issue in the spotlight. Whether the drama has any lasting impact on the Florida GOP remains to be seen. New party chair Evan Powers said the issue would be, quote, a blip and that the party can quickly turn the page and continue dominating statewide elections. That's probably true. Republicans have all the advantages in Florida, but there could still be more fallout. Ziegler's wife, for example, remains on the Sarasota County School Board and is a co-founder of Moms for Liberty. That group could lose some of its influence because it's of its association with the Zieglers. And whatever else happens, this story is an, another example of just how strange and unpredictable Florida politics can be. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics our first of 2024. Stay tuned for many more shows in the new year as we break down what is sure to be a wild election year. I want to thank our audio production guru, Chandler Hopeful. Thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.